All right, greetings, everybody. As you're finding your seat, please uh, find your way to Mark chapter 8. Uh, we're going to read from Scripture. So if you're able, stand up in reverence to the Word. Um, we'll read through this Scripture together. Um, takes us all the way 8, 1 through 21. So um, this is where Jesus feeds the 4,000. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, What does this generation, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their decision, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Thanks be to God. Be seated. Well, we're in the Gospel of Mark, and the disciples don't see it, but a storm is coming. A cosmic clash between God's eternal plans, the traditions of the Pharisees, and the disciples' expectations. And the disciples don't see it because they're not looking at the full picture. Let me see if I can illustrate what's happening with something that happens in my life. How does Scott Guardiola experience a snowstorm? I love a good snowstorm. It usually starts with me looking at the forecast, ooh, here comes a storm, and then I get a little obsessed about the radar. And I like to watch the radar. I like to see that storm moving across Lake Michigan, and the blues are getting a little bit darker, and it's like, oh, this is going to be a big one. And as the storm is coming, I kind of check on my radar, and then I wait to see where, when it's going to disappear. And it gives me a sense of the storm, but by itself, I've really not experienced the snowstorm. I've just 
watched it on my screen. So another thing I might do to experience the storm is to actually look out my window, see the snow, and then walk out the front door. And if it's one of those beautiful, gentle snow globe kind of snows that I really, really like, you just kind of stand out and go, isn't this beautiful? And sometimes you walk out there and it's one of those fierce blizzards, you know, where it's sticking to your face and your eyebrows and you run right back inside. And I've come face to face with the storm, but by itself, that wouldn't be really experiencing the storm. I don't really know where it came from. I don't know what the snow is made of. I don't know where it's going. It's just this white stuff suddenly fell out of the sky. One thing I love doing every winter is to take some time when the snow, it's really cold and the snow is fluffy, is to find an individual flake of snow. Can't put it on your finger, it'll melt. It's got to be on your glove or on the end of a railing or something like that. And I'm very nearsighted, so I take my glasses off and I get about this close to it and I see God's amazing design in that one crystalline flake of snow. It's beautiful, but I never see it unless I'm intentional. I take the time to look at it. By itself, it's kind of small, it's very temporary, seemingly insignificant. But when gathered together with others, it becomes beautiful. It paints the pine trees white. And also, it can produce significant damage. Each perspective is informative. But in isolation, it's incomplete. We don't really understand the snow unless we're sort of doing all of this at once. To understand fully, we kind of have to look at the full picture. And an incomplete perspective was the disciples' problem. They're overwhelmed by this multiplying bread and fish and warnings about yeast, and then their mind is stuck on this one loaf of bread they have with them in the boat. And and Jesus tries to break through that clutter of their minds by pelting them with these questions like snowballs saying, Hey, snap out of it. And he, and, he, and he just kind of repeats, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hard? Do you have eyes that fail to see, ears that fail to hear? Don't you remember all the things I've taught you? And then he concludes with this, do you still not understand? And there was no reply. Did you catch that? Because the disciples are going, um, no, I guess not. Not really. You ever feel like you're in that spot with God? You just don't quite understand what he's doing, what's going on. We're missing the full picture. Some things are so big, we we don't see them. And some things are so small, we dare not overlook them. There was a lot of big and small in the passage that Shannon just read for us. There was a huge crowd fed by a really small amount of fish and bread. There was a great miracle, and it was performed by Almighty God but in the form of a small, single human being. Big numbers like 5,000 and 4,000, and then little bitty numbers like 12 and 7 that apparently were very significant, but we don't know why yet. And then you've got the Pharisees, who are the great, revered teachers of the day. And Jesus compares them to yeast, that little bitty stuff that you put in your bread that that makes it rise. What's all this big and little going on? Do you understand? Not really. I want you to be able to say more and more, yes, I am understanding more fully the plans of God. I'm seeing the full picture. So today, we're going to look up, kind of expand our gospel perspective. Then we're going to pause, and we're going to inspect and examine that powerful smallness of the gospel. Then we're going to look out the window, and we're going to walk out the door, taste, touch, feel the presence of the gospel. Because to understand the gospel fully... You have to see the full gospel. 
Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about sharing the full gospel and compassion and ministry to others. We gave you those little brown go bags I hope some of you have hung on to. We realize we have to love people in word and deed. But to understand the fullness of God's plans for the gospel, we also have to expand our vision to see the full gospel. So let's zoom out. Let's do the big picture, the radar, if you will, the panorama setting on your camera. The gospel is magnificent. I just want to tell you that this morning. The gospel is magnificent, and I want to call you to wonder at the massive scope of what God's doing and the mysterious sequence of his salvation plan. Now, our Bible has chapters and verses in it. We're in the book of Mark, chapter 8. We started in verse 1. Those chapter breaks and those verses weren't written originally by Mark. He just wrote a story. He told us what happened in the days of Jesus. Later on, people came along and put the chapters and verses in there to help us find our way, which is very helpful so you can know where you're going when we're studying chapter 8, verse 1. But sometimes that almost gets in the way. Sometimes we go, well, I read my verse for the day. Or I just honed in on this chapter, as if that little piece is going to really give us the whole picture. Let me see if I can illustrate this. Many of you are familiar with Tolkien's books, the Lord of the Rings series, or maybe you've seen the movies. There's one chapter in one of the first books called A Shortcut to Mushrooms, where the hobbits cut through Farmer Maggot's field and steal some mushrooms. Now, if you just took that bit of that whole epic and you just kind of read that chapter and that little bit of it, you'd walk away and say, what's the point of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings? Don't steal mushrooms. I now understand the whole thing. Now, that's a fine lesson, and you could take that from that bit of the book. But, you know, there is something else going on, like there's something about some powerful ring and good and evil and trust and betrayal and perseverance and friendship, and if you just hone in on that one thing, you sort of miss the big picture. The gospel has a scope and a sequence. Those of you in education are familiar with that term, a scope and a sequence. Scope is how big is what God is doing, and sequence is what order is he doing it in. So if you were to go to college and take, uh, let's stick with our meteorology theme, you wanted to become a meteorologist, and so you decided to take Meteorology 101. When you complete that class, are you now ready to work for the National Weather Service? Probably not. The scope of that class is introductory, but there's a sequence. You might learn first about evaporation, then precipitation, and then air currents, and maybe climate change. Through these miracles, Jesus is showing us the scope of God's plan, and the sequence of God's plan. He fed the 5,000. We looked at it a few weeks ago. And how many baskets were picked up? He seems to make a big deal out of this. Remember? Twelve. He was over on the Jewish side of the lake. And when all was done, there was more food than they started with, but there were 12 baskets picked up. In this big scope of how much God loves us, there's also this important lesson that God has come to fulfill his promises to Israel. These 12 tribes, the sons of Israel. And God is announcing, I am here to fulfill this promise to my people. But now at the feeding of the 4,000, because it seems kind of redundant, like why, do we, why didn't we just do all this? Why is it mentioned again? We are now on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the Gentile region, in the Decapolis. And Jesus is proclaiming this truth, that I have come for all people, even the Gentiles. And how many basketfuls were picked up? Seven. A very common number in the Bible to, to uh, describe completion, perfection. That now with my ministry to God's people, my expansion of it to all people, my mission is full. 
and complete. So some big things are going on, and in the midst of this, some little things are going on, little numbers that proclaim really big scope of God's ministry. 1 Timothy 2 says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. If you want to know how big God's gospel plan is, who he wants involved in his kingdom, the answer is very clear in Scripture. Everyone, everywhere. For God so loved the world. And the scope of God's ministry offends the Pharisees. They think the Messiah is only for the Jews and only the righteous ones at that. It's puzzling the disciples. They thought the Messiah was going to come and throw off the Romans, not preach to them. It surprises the Gentiles. The Gentiles are like, a Jew who actually cares about us? I don't understand. The scope is clear. And now let's, let's take this, what we're learning here, and bring it home to us today. Do you, do you appreciate the scope of God's great love and his plan to call people to himself? Do you realize that God loves your boss and your neighbor and your coworker and that gang member in El Salvador, the people devastated by war in Ukraine and the people in Russia who are causing the war in Ukraine? God's heart is for those who speak Arabic and Chinese and Swahili, for the leper, for the loner, for the loser, for the woman and for the womanizer. God's scope, his plan is unfolding. These miracles are demonstrating that not just for the 4,000, not just for the 5,000, but for us to hear today, I am bringing my compassion and my love to the whole world. And so this day, all across the globe, People are being redeemed and are gathered in worship of Jesus Christ. That little multiplying, not so little, multiplying of fishes and loaves is happening in the hearts of people and has happened for years and years until there are millions of us gathered today. Are you starting to go, whoa, I just thought it was about bread. See, that's where we're at. We're in the disciples' head. I just thought it was this cool thing God did with bread. What a nifty trick. I wish you could do that at my party. I wouldn't have to buy so much food. No. Jesus is demonstrating what's happening and what's going to happen and the heart of God. Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God, Paul says. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. For God so loved the world. That's the scope. Now, what do we do with that? How do we apply that? I want to encourage you to find wonder moments in your life. Times where you just step back and say, Wow, God's plan of salvation is pretty amazing. I mean, it is rocking. That's, that's why we do worship. That's why we do songs. And, because sometimes that causes us to just look at words put in somewhat poetic form to just step back and loosen up our hearts with music and say, Wow, God, I'm seeing it. Because I get so lost in the details. I need to step back and appreciate all that you're doing. Don't get stuck on that loaf of wonder bread like the disciples were. Instead, wonder at the great scope of God's salvation plan. So that's amazing. Everyone, everywhere, but not all at once. There's a sequence to what God is doing. Paul says that the gospel came first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. There was an order of these feedings that actually proclaimed that to us. The order is significant. Now, I don't have a lot of time to expound on this, but it goes all the way back to God's promise to Abraham that I will bless through you all nations. All nations, starting with your people and your descendants and then working it outward. And the church of Jesus Christ is meant to bless all nations, not just the people in Petoskey, but that's why we're always reaching out, outward focus, looking for others that we can share Christ with. 
And this sequence was important in Jesus' ministry. He had a sequence. He came to live perfectly, to love expansively, to die willingly, and the disciples did not get that one, to be raised powerfully, ascend intentionally, and to return gloriously. This was his plan. This was his sequence, and he would not be deterred from it. Now, do you ever struggle with the order of things, with God's plan and how it unfolds? We see the big picture, but we don't understand why he's leading us where he's leading us. It'd be sort of like if I said, hey, you want to go on a trip with me to Southern California? And you look out the snow and you say, I am in. I'm on board. When are we leaving? Tomorrow morning. Great, we're going to Southern California. And then I say, but we're stopping in Boston first. And you say, that, that doesn't, the order doesn't make any sense. See, God rarely takes the direct route. Let me tell you about a time in my life when that happened, when it wasn't a straight line. It's how I ended up standing right here before you in Petoskey this morning. I was ministering in a church downstate. I'd been the pastor there for a couple of decades, and things were going well. Lives were being changed. I was enjoying the ministry, loved the people, and they loved us as well. And I knew there was going to come a time when when a change would take place, and I was approached by a church, not Genesis. I was approached by a church, asked if I would consider a position there. And I sort of felt God tugging at me. So, well, let's talk. So we started a conversation and then a bit more of an investigation and then a bit of an interview. And, and, and I was, my heart was starting to kind of go, I think this, this could really be what God is doing next. And then I got a phone call and they said, you know, we've decided to actually stop the whole process for now. And I, and I was kind of stunned. And if God said to me, Scott, do you understand what I'm doing? I just said, no, not at all. This makes no sense. Right on the heels of that, I got a call from Norm. He said, hey, Scott, have you ever thought of being an executive pastor? Because we've got this spot up in Petoskey, Michigan. And I thought, never really thought about that position too much, but I, I, I could see myself doing that. Petoskey? Man, that is way up there. That is so far from all my family. I, I don't know. It wasn't necessarily the role I was looking for. It wasn't the place I was looking for. But I can tell you that had God not taken me over here first to investigate this, I would never have ended up standing here in front of you because I could not get here from where I was. God had to take me somewhere else first that wasn't the destination in order to get me to what was the destination. See, if I hadn't surrendered my heart to the journey with Jesus Christ, I would not have ended up at the destination that Jesus wanted me at. So today, as you look at the scope, God wants, he's working in my life, he's bringing about good things, he's bringing people to salvation, but then we just really stumble at the sequence stuff because we go, this doesn't make sense, God, it should happen like this. I have a plan. God rarely follows my plan. Can you tell him to follow my plan? And, And it just doesn't work like that. I am not just surrendered to a destination. I am surrendered to a journey, even if I don't understand the steps. God rarely takes the direct route. So the sequence is unfolding because God is the master designer. Where do you struggle with the scope of God's plan? People that you think are beyond God's reach, that you've written off, that you said, not them. I mean, I'll share my faith with these people. God must love them, but does he really love them? We need to expand our scope. And where do you struggle with the sequence? Where do you say, I I just can't see God's hand at work here. I want to tell you, have faith for the journey. Be patient. Yes, you'll get to the destination, but have faith for the journey as well. That's the big picture. 
That's the panorama that we just don't take the time to step back at and wonder at, look at and wonder at. So now let's kind of change the setting on our camera from that big panorama that looks at the magnificence of the gospel, and let's go into that really tight sort of telephoto mode when you have to look at really, really small things. Let's zoom into the smallest parts because the gospel is minute. It addresses the smallest things, and Jesus calls us to probe the power of seemingly small things because small things matter in the kingdom of God. Let's just not lose sight of what's happening once again in this feeding. Jesus has compassion for the hungry people. Their souls matter, but so do their bodies. He cares that they might pass out on the way home. He's not too big to be concerned about this. That's why you had that little go bag to take with you to remind you that small things matter and opportunities might arise to love somebody, to show compassion to somebody, and we dare not ignore those small things because they illustrate the big heart of God. See, there's a big lesson in these small loaves and fish. As God is multiplying them, the disciples don't understand that these small group of fishermen, this small group of followers are going to be changed themselves until they change the whole world. And it starts small. Most of God's things start small. Do not despise the small things. God is the God of small things. When you hug somebody in Jesus' name, when you take time to bring them a meal or give them a word of encouragement or to volunteer to serve a child. These are small things that are huge things in the sight of God. When you say no to that temptation, when you read your Bible, even if it's only for 10 minutes, that little bit of progress is beautiful in God's eyes like that snowflake is because he attends to the small things and finds beauty in it. It's beautiful in his eyes. And when gathered together with many other small things that believers are doing, it becomes powerful. Now, small things have a positive power opportunity, but so also do they have the opportunity to do damage. And so Jesus in verse 15 says, be careful, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Yeast in the Bible is most often, not always, but most often equated with sin. It's this small thing that kind of moves through the whole bread and let's help what kind of gives air to bread and give it some shape. But it's so small and yet it's a great image of what can start small and it's spread through our lives. Where have you allowed yeast, kind of like spiritual termites that come in and eat from the inside out? Where have you allowed that in your life? Because it's not that big a deal. It's just a small thing. I know I should probably deal with that, but it's a small thing. And what starts small, your anger, a particular sin, jealousy, maybe your foul mouth, it's it's like a yeast that just sort of starts spreading and shaping your character and who you are and begins to affect the people around you, and that begins to shape the world. For the Pharisees, yeast most often was their legalism. They, they just could not get past this concept of grace. And we'll see, we've seen it, we'll see it again. But it's also joined in, in this passage with Herod. Why Herod? The Pharisees and Herod. Herod clearly was a man of unbelief. He was curious. You remember how he brought John the Baptist before him and liked to hear him talk, find it, found it interesting, wanted to hear him again and again, but he never believed. He actually had his head cut off. Obviously, that wasn't faith. Jesus is multiplying compassion and provision. The Pharisees are multiplying criticism and doubt. They're watching but not following. They're considering but never deciding. And that brings us to the last perspective that I want to put out in front of you. Again, we've got to change the setting on our camera. We've zoomed out. 
we've looked at the big picture and said, wow, isn't what God's doing awesome? i got to take some time and really appreciate that. We've kind of narrowed in and said, God cares about the little bitty things in my day. That 3.03 in the afternoon on a Thursday, God cares what's going on. That's cool. But now let's put it in portrait mode. The mode you take a snapshot of a person with, and that person is Jesus. Because above all things, the gospel is man-sized. It's man-sized, and that man is Jesus. And we are called to embrace Jesus, who provides ample evidence for you to make a faith decision. See, sometimes we focus so much on the big and the little that we lose sight of what's right in front of us. Consider your family. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to provide a good life for my family. I've got the big picture in mind. I'm looking forward to retirement, making sure they've got food, clothing, and shelter. All is good. We look at the small things. What's for dinner tonight? I've oh, got to do the laundry. got to pay the bills. And we're doing those big things, and we're doing those little things, and we fail to engage that beautiful face that's right in front of us, that child or that spouse that's right there every day. We forget the human size picture of what's happening. And the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they want big. They want another miracle. You've shown us you could feed 5,000 people. You've shown us you can feed 4,000 people. We've seen the lame walk. We've watched the blind be healed. They can see now. What can you wow us with today, God? Give us a sign. Let's see what you can do, Jesus. Jesus responds to that in verse 12. (sighs) He sighs deeply. Show me a sign from heaven. I'm standing right in front of you. Show me that God is with us. I'm standing right in front of you. Jesus has provided them signs and wonders, and all they can do is wonder why they've not gotten another sign. They're examining the idea of Jesus, but they're not embracing this exceedingly average-looking human being who is God in the flesh. We're like that. Show me something again, Jesus, and maybe I'll take another faith step. Prove it to me, Jesus, and maybe I'll believe in you. And yet we have all of the signs and wonders recorded for us. We look around at the lives of the people that sit next to us and say, look how they're changed and transformed. But God, what? I'm almost there, but show me again. And we don't embrace Jesus. It's kind of like me and my radar. This is what happens sometimes. I'm looking at the radar on my phone, and I see the storm coming, and I see it blew over the lake. It's moving. I live a little bit east of Petoskey. Ooh, it's hit the shorts at Petoskey. And then all of a sudden, it goes over the little dot that's me on my screen. And then I go to my wife, hey, look, it's snowing. And she's like, look out the window. It's snowing. You didn't need to do this. See, the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod, among many things, I think, was this. It was unbelief. I'm looking. I'm listening. I'm watching. I'm wondering. But I'm never, ever deciding. Is that you? Maybe you're here today because something has been drawing you to God. And yet you're just like, I, I feel like he's calling me to, to, to put my faith in Christ, to do this Christian thing. I, but mm, I don't know. I, I, just, I need one more sign. I need one more something. And you need to take time to investigate, but there always comes a decision moment where it just feels like I just need one. What is it going to be? What is it going to take? Is it that lightning from heaven? I'm standing here in front of you today as a testimony to God's work at moving us around. And 
Jesus is standing in front of us through the gospel saying, look at my work displayed in the world and in human hearts. Do you see the cross of love? Do you see the power of the empty tomb? Do you see the changed lives around you? Stop wondering and start grabbing hold. Embrace. You see, to walk out that door and into the snow and say, okay, I'm, I'm getting a much better idea what this is now. I think I've seen the big picture. I've seen the small things, but here I am experiencing it with snow on my face. And you do this all the time. You, you put your faith in something without proof. So we want proof. How many of you got in a car and came here today? I'm going to guess most of you unless you're really close and you walked. You put faith in your car today. You probably didn't even think about it. You had evidence that your car would get you places because you've seen cars on the road going places. You've maybe ridden it before. You didn't think a lot about it. You knew that, oh, sometimes the battery might not work or once in a while there might be issues, but you got in the car and you got here and you didn't even think about it. Did you have proof that your car was going to work this morning before you got in there? No, you just trusted it. You sat down on the chair you're sitting on this morning and didn't even think twice about whether it was going to hold you. There's no proof that that chair was going to hold you, but there's a lot of evidence that it would because you've sat in it before. Because you see other people sitting in it and they're not on their butts on the floor, so it looks pretty good. I I don't even have to think about it. If you're waiting for that 100% last bit of proof where there's no doubt whatsoever in your mind, that means you don't have to have any faith. At the same time, I don't like the expression leap of faith. God doesn't call us to take a leap of faith. Jesus gives us all kinds of evidence that he's real, that he's present, that he's God in the flesh, that he is the God of the miraculous, that he's changing lives, that he's risen from the dead. What more do you want? Now I want to tell you some exciting things are happening at Genesis these days. Just in the last two months, people are taking that faith step. Right here on, at church on Sunday mornings and at other times where people are saying, you know, I, I'm ready to trust Christ. And people are putting their faith in Jesus Christ right here in this place week after week. And it's, it's exciting. And I want to just say to you, if you're, like, you're that person that's like almost there, if God's calling you to take a faith step and you've been kind of thinking about it, wondering about it, but you're not quite there, I just want to say, come on, come on. Just walk out into the snow. Do you want to build a snowman? Yes! Let's go out there and embrace Jesus. Let's get the full perspective. Wait no longer. Put your hope and your trust in the one that is so compassionate he cares about whether you're going to pass out on the way home if you haven't had enough to eat. That has a grand plan that you can't quite get your head around. That cares about the very small things, even what you're doing this afternoon and the pain in your heart and the future that's in front of you. He cares. Throw open the door and embrace Jesus Christ. Because to understand the gospel fully, you have to see the full gospel, and that includes embracing Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you some kind of next steps here. And as I do that, I'm going to then give you an opportunity to to walk out into that snow, to walk out and face Jesus and to embrace him. Zach's going to come up, and we're going to sing in a little bit, but let me first walk you through some next steps. First of all, I want to call you to surrender to God's scope and sequence. Where have you struggled with the big picture? I don't understand how God could love these people. I want to call you to have the heart of God, to look bigger, to to expand your vision for what God's doing around the world. Get involved in missions and say, God has a heart for the whole world. And then trust his sequence. Where are you struggling with the journey? Where are you saying, God, I do not see why, I'm go- why, why things are going this way or this direction. And I can't probably explain it to you either. 
But will you trust God for the journey as well as the destination? Secondly, identify one small thing to celebrate and one small thing to watch out for. What's something that you just need to stop and look at and say, that is, that is amazing? To look at the face of that newborn and say, wow, how awesome is that? And God cares about this child as much as he cares about the President of the United States or anyone else. To look at that snowflake, whatever that is in your life, and just thank God for the beauty of it and the design and the care for it. But then also, to look in your own heart and say, there's some small things that are like sand in an engine and I, I haven't paid attention to it. And they're going to cause great damage. I've got to look for the yeast. And it's time to get that out of there, God. So give me the courage to do that. And then finally, embrace Jesus through a faith commitment and believer's baptism. Some of you have trusted Christ, but you've never proclaimed that through believer's baptism. I want to encourage you to text us, to talk to us afterward. This is coming up here this Easter. Maybe that's you, and you go, boy, I don't know. That's a, that's a big step in front of all these people and to, to make this so public. Yes, that's exactly what it is. It's that step. It's that embrace. I want to just take a minute and give you an opportunity to embrace Jesus Christ. So would you bow your heads with me? We do this from time to time, not real often, but I just as I've been preparing this message, I have this sense that maybe God is calling. Maybe you've seen enough now and you say, yes, it's time to take that faith step with Jesus. Maybe I've just been thinking of the idea of Jesus, but not actually embracing him. If that's you this morning, if it's time for you to step out and take that faith step of trusting Christ as Savior, it's as simple as saying this in your heart to God. God, I'm here now. I'm beginning to see, but above all, I see you love me. I see you offer me forgiveness through Jesus Christ, and I'm done considering, I'm done wondering, I'm done thinking about, I'm stepping forward, and I'm taking hold. I let go of my sinful life, my own being Lord of my life, and I take hold of Jesus, and I surrender my life to him. that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to not leave this room before you find myself or Norm or you come up here to our prayer team that will be up at the front and say, I made that faith commitment today. I would love for you to be part of this movement that's happening. And I would love to meet with you and talk with you and pray with you. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to continue to sort of be before God in a prayerful way as we sing a little bit of this song, The Lion and the Lamb. It's about big things and little things. It's about the fact that Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who conquers, and yet he is also the lamb, that one person, perfect person, whose sacrifice changed the whole world. Let's just sing it out, sing our God. And our God is the lion. The Lion of Judah, he's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before him, our God. And our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sin of the world. His blood breaks the chains 
And every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Every knee will bow before our God. Well, our God is the lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before our God. And our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of this world. His blood breaks the chains and every knee will bow. For the lion and the lamb, and every knee will bow before him. Father God, we just bow before you, Lord. We just come before our King, just humbled. We are ready to take the journey that you have for us, Lord. I pray that we can just allow you to walk before us and lead us, Lord, into what you have for us. Father God, we just give you all the praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are ready to take that next step and you want to sign up for baptism, please Text us or um, go to the Welcome Center after service today, and we would love to walk with you in that journey. Also, if our Discovery Sunday leaders could make their way over to their table, don't forget to stop by the tables this morning. Check out the ministries that we have here at Genesis and how you could um, maybe one day serve with them. Um, And our prayer team, like Scott said, will be up here at the front. If you or someone you know needs prayer, we'd love to pray with you. Have a blessed day today.